Hi, welcome to Life Distilled. I'm Jane. In this episode, I'm going to take a look at the life and work of poet William Blake. In his lifetime, William Blake's work was mostly ignored. He's now considered to be a major poet of English Romanticism and highly artistically influential. Blake was born on November 18, 1757, making him the oldest of the poets from the Romantic era. He was born to a respectable family and never had any formal education. However, starting at a young age, Blake reported seeing visions of angels and spirits. From 14 to 21 years old, he was apprenticed to an engraver and would continue to work as one throughout his life, making engravings of several of his own poems. Blake married at 24 to a woman named Catherine Butcher, and by all accounts, the relationship remained a happy one. He continued writing, creating two sets of poems, one titled Songs of Innocence in 1789 and the other Songs of Experience in 1794. His famous poem, The Tiger, is one of the songs of experience. When the French Revolution broke out, Blake wrote poetry criticizing the monarchy and was friends with radical thinkers like Thomas Paine. During this time, he also wrote The Marriage of Heaven and Hell, a poem that mocks oppressive authority figures like the government and church. Much of William Blake's poetry focuses on religion, such as his epic poem Jerusalem, where he explores man's fall from grace and later his redemption. Blake died on August 12, 1827, and according to his wife, he sang hymns and verses and promised her he would always be with her. Blake's poetry is dense and full of metaphors and theological ideas that can sometimes make it difficult to understand, but his use of imagery and ability to build on what poets like Milton and Dante had done make him unique, especially among Romantic poets when religion was almost faux pas. The Tiger by William Blake Tiger, tiger, burning bright In the forests of the night What immortal hand or eye Could frame thy fearful symmetry? In what distant deeps or skies Burnt the fire of thine eyes? On what wings dare he aspire? What the hand dare seize the fire? And what shoulder and what art Could twist the sinews of thy heart? And when thy heart began to beat, What dread hand and what dread feet? What the hammer, what the chain? In what furnace was thy brain? What the anvil, what dread grasp Dare its deadly terrors clasp? When the stars threw down their spears And watered heaven with their tears Did he smile his work to see? Did he who made the lamb make thee? Tiger, tiger, burning bright In the forests of the night What immortal hand or eye Dare frame thy fearful symmetry? To dive a little deeper into William Blake's poetry, I sat down with my friend Louise to talk about a very interesting modern connection. So I'm here with the lovely Louise. You're so lovely. Thank you so much um, for for guesting. Um, We're going to be talking about William Blake and 
you know the this this guy i don't know maybe you've heard of him bob dylan yeah i've i mean i'm wearing a shirt that has his face on it right now and i also have a phone case that has his face on it and i have also read multiple books about him um because i'm an obsessive freak (laughs) uh but yeah i'm here because we're kind of doing uh some crossover episodes um me because i had two guests cancel on me and i was panicking um but (laughs) uh i host a show called the b-sides podcast also you can find it on apple and uh, apple Podcasts and spotify um and you can follow me on twitter and instagram both at b-sides pod but on that show we talk about um underrated and obscure musical figures and albums and um Uh, musical phenomenons in American music history and uh, we bring on all sorts of fun guests like uh, we just talked about uh, Betty Davis funk icon with um, Danielle Maggio from University of Pittsburgh Um, I talked to Owen Mysterovich about no wave music um, and he is a uh, a a band leader of a band called Paddlefish here in Chicago Uh, so we talk about lots of fun stuff Um, yeah and obviously lyrics for a lot of people our poetry so um it's a good crossover for us yeah we're doing we're doing that sort of you you mentioned like that that 2013 youtube collab Mm -hmm. um and that (laughs) that really is a fantastic comparison yeah it is because that is exactly exactly what what it is (laughs) so i i talked to louise about over to my uh, channel for (laughs) yeah link in the description yes oh my god Um, (laughs) so yeah i talked to louise about um David Bowie's lyrics, mm-hmm. fantastically interesting. And now she, she's going to listen to me talk about uh, William Blake mm. and so, say some things about Bob Dylan. Yeah. So William Blake is an interesting figure because I feel like he is one of those poets where it's like he's kind of um, uh, not not exemplary. That's not the word, but. Um, like, you have to read him. He's, like, one of those. You know, if you're mm-hmm. going to read poetry, like, you have to read Blake. At least a few, yeah. But he's somebody that I never really understood that well. Um, I know he influenced a lot of musicians, which is where I'm coming from, really. Um, but I never... I never understood him as a figure because I feel like a lot of his poems, in order to read them, you have to have read other poems. I don't know yeah. if you could explain maybe his like place in the poetry world for me. Um, yeah. So William Blake, um, he also wasn't just a poet. Um, he was also a painter, painter and, and he yeah. he did etchings. Um, he actually did them for some, for some of his own poems. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a bit of an oddball. A bit. Yeah, just a little bit. Um, people at the time honestly just considered him mad, crazy, whatever. And the time um, was like late 1700s, right? Yeah, so he was born in 1757. So when mm. he would have been doing most of his work was like, you know, around um, around the time of the French Revolution, actually. Right. And also the American Revolution. Yeah, that too. Yeah. Though I don't think he cared quite as much about that no but i mean i think that i think that the american revolution did have an impact on people in england because they were kind of like oh yeah. well they're getting free like why aren't we exactly yeah you know but anyway 
Yeah. Um, he was really, really religious um, in a very odd way. Um, so from, from a really young age, William Blake claimed to see visions. Um, usually of angels, um, mm -hmm. but also saints. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it definitely. I mean, and, and that's something that that he he drew on for the rest of his life. A lot, a lot, a lot of his poetry is very religious in nature. Did people think he was a prophet? At no any time. Okay. No, they they really just thought he was kind of crazy. Yeah, I know. I know something. I know he was buried like outside of London because to be buried inside of London, you had to be like a good Christian or whatever. Yeah, and some and of, they some were of like, his poetry. They were Ooh. like, "Oh, well, this isn't exactly what the Bible taught us." So yeah. outside of London, you go. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean the the way that I've so. I know a lot of beat poets draw on him as a major influence, mm -hmm. um, which then in turn a lot of musicians of the 60s and 70s drew on the beat poets, so they in yeah. turn kind of drew on Blake as well. Mm -hmm. um, but I never understood why so many people related to him, especially because of his Christian leanings, um, because our, like beat poets... And and, yeah. and they songwriters were, could be terribly godless. So. Yes, <laughs> um, they're a lot more pointedly not not just terribly godless, but like pointedly atheist in a yeah. way. Mm -hmm. And but I did come up with maybe an idea of why. Um, so Blake was writing in like like you said these very revolutionary times. Yeah, um, and he was kind of in a way working against imperialism. Whoever closed that door. We're going to close anyway, the door um, on your face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, um, maybe it's because Blake was writing in like really revolutionary times and trying to work against imperialism. And you see in a lot of his um, poetry, there's like social activism too. Yeah. Like like the, um, the chimney sweep children poems. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he wrote some about prostitution, which was, like, very rampant in London in that time. And so I feel like maybe freedom seekers in the 50s and 60s maybe identify with that a little bit. Yeah. You know? that That's... That idea of, definitely. like, standing up for the little guy. I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, you should explain um, maybe some more about... Um, Blake's like unorthodox Christianity because like some of him some people called him a heretic and some people called him a visionary so it's like very confusing yeah so um did you did you end up having a chance to read the argument from the marriage of heaven and hell I read about it okay that's that's <laughs> because good it actually ties into a song we're gonna talk about Ooh, so. excellent yeah um yeah so the way Blake viewed religion um, as it pertained to, like, Protestant England mm -hmm. was absolutely shocking at the time, for the most part, mm. because um, he really 
puts a lot of allegory into it, and he sort of um, he sort of pulls things from the Bible that maybe one wouldn't think you should. Um, so like parts that were not did didn't look good is what you're saying. In or? a way, so he drew on um, not just the Bible, but also um, Milton's Paradise Lost as well. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, a huge thing then, now, whatever. It's Paradise Lost. Um, but he compares that and the views that Milton had with the views um, that were popular, popular in the day from the Bible and what he comes up with is is very untypical because you know the the church advocates you know piety and restraint and reason and all of that right but what william blake said um in part of the marriage of heaven and hell is that not only is that not really the only way to do it, it's also very limiting. Um, So he compares the body and the soul to desires and reason. Mm -hmm. Um, And saying, you know, the argument that reason is inherently good or holy and desires are inherently evil so one of them as in a lot of world philosophies are exactly like that. yes mm-hmm. um but his argument is that um desires are necessary to human existence mm. um and not experiencing them is actually sinful in a way um so reason is meant to be like the boundaries of desire. It's meant to be, you know, the rational limits to what you can and should do, mm-hmm. but also not to completely repress everything because otherwise you can't live a fulfilling life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and wish, that was that. I, mean, that was I wish that would have been, or I wish, um, I, I bet that would have been like very, um, like you said shocking for the time because like yeah i don't think a lot of people going to like i don't i don't know you never you never hear um i guess in like religious literature being like live your best life like it's not about you and your life it's sort of about like do what you're supposed to do to please whatever exactly yeah um so that's yeah and um i think so we're we're going to connect um, William Blake to Bob Dylan, who is a poet in his own right. And uh, anybody who tells me that he's not can go ask the Nobel Committee if they <laughs> decided on that in 2016. So case closed. Um, but anyway, uh, so Dylan's connection to Blake, a lot of people say that Dylan, like, never read any poetry, which is, like, impossible. But, yeah, um, that's absurd. Because they <laughs> they just want to make him, like, look lesser or whatever because he's a songwriter. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but he at least stumbled on it um especially blake i mean you, the influence of people like arthur rimbaud is like very very apparent in his writing um yeah. and sort of that like um stream of consciousness consciousness style of writing mm-hmm. um and songs like it's all right ma was like a very prominent example of that um but uh if if nothing had an influence on him literary literary in a literary sense um i don't think literarily is a word <laughs> it is now <laughs> um it is now but if anything had an influence on him um in that way it would have been the bible which instantly connects you to blake because blake also took a lot of like um imagery and inspiration from the bible yep um so the the most direct connections unfortunately for us (laughs) between dylan's work and william blake um is is uh exists in his christian phase which yes dylan was born a jew he had a he had a bar mitzvah like he or um yeah he had a bar mitzvah he you know did all that stuff um but a lot of people say or i guess the speculation is a lot of people say that he he grew up in minnesota Mm -hmm. and in in minnesota and in minneapolis is not terribly welcome uh, welcoming for jewish people um, some people speculated that, which is why he may have changed his last name. His last name is very Jewish, um, Zimmerman. Oh. Um, so, anyway, yes, he was born a Jew, but um, his his marriage ended. So he he was very um, active in the '60s, which is like his most famous work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then uh, my favorite period of his work is the the early '70s through '76. Um, but by the end of those years, he had divorced from his wife. Um, he was kind of estranged from his children. Um, it was pretty like midlife crisis <laughs> you know? Um, and I think he may, and this, this may be wrong too, but I think maybe he was looking for something. I mean, his, his divorce album was literally called Blood on the Tracks. Wow. You know? Um, so he was probably in a bit of like turmoil at that point. Mm-hmm. I mean, who wouldn't be after being married to someone for almost 10 years and having five kids with them and then just you know yeah just having it end um and and towards the end uh that last album um where you can see his relationship desire the last track is a track called sarah which um is arguably his most vulnerable record like specifically talking about his wife and how much he loved her so obviously that was like terribly traumatic for him yeah um and so he might have been looking for something, and what he found was Jesus. So, <laughs> I mean, but that's that's not necessarily surprising. A lot, a lot, a of, lot of people mm-hmm. found religion in some way or right. another at some point in their lives. Um. So anyway, uh, yeah, uh, he had used a lot of biblical Im- imagery all the way through the '60s. A lot of people. Um, remember him like consulting a big King's James, King James Bible, like especially when wow. he was writing um, like John Wesley Harding all along the watchtower and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but when he started writing these very religious songs, obviously people were gonna, people listened to it and were like, what the hell is this? Like you were supposed to be the guy that dispelled all that for us for Mm -hmm. a a whole generation that was like we don't want to go to church anymore yeah um so anyway um 
And with, with Blake specifically, he was probably introduced to it by Allen Ginsberg, who was famous for saying that he had a hallucination where William Blake appeared to him or whatever at night. Oh, um, man. Which, you know, and, and Allen Ginsberg, I think, recorded um, Songs of Innocence. Is that what it's called? Songs of Innocence? Yeah. Um, songs, I think of, he, songs of Innocence. And then there's um, like a companion to it, Songs of its. Uh, songs of experience right 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 right. um and that specifically um i think uh the the little boy and little girl lost poems Mm -hmm. are are in there and those were an obvious like dylan must have read those because they're um in the song visions of joanna it's specifically in there he says um little boy lost so you take yourself so seriously um and he also name checks Ezra Pound and T.S. Eliot as fighting in the captain's tower in that song too. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, um, so obviously both Dylan and Blake were sort of like almost scholars of the Bible. Yeah, you could yeah, say I would. Um, and they were both very highly original thinkers. Um, and they both almost created their own mythology and like sort of human-centered religion, um, if you could think of it that way. And and they did it in a way that they were now able to like criticize the parts of religion that weren't so great. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so so a few of the songs that like I wanted to talk about specifically, um, the first one. Uh, I already said Visions of Joanna. Um, also, A Hard Rain's Gonna Fall also falls in that category of talking about childhood danger and loss, mm-hmm. which are um, subjects that um, Blake specifically highlighted in the Little Boy and Little Girl Lost poems. Yeah. But also through, like we said before, um, he witnessed like horrific images of child labor in London while he was living. Um so I'm sure that yeah like made an impact on him. Um but that was really in the beginning of his career. So once we get once we get to the Christian phase of his um his career which happens from 79 to 82 is when um this span of three albums happen. It's um saved not great. <laughs> um <laughs> a little bit oh, obvious. No no no, it's um it's um slow train coming, which is pretty good. Saved, not great. And um shot of love, which had some good songs on it um (laughs) but again he was like heavily criticized for these because he was supposed to be the voice of a generation and he was supposed to be all of these things and every time somebody told him to be something he's like no i'm with jesus now like you you know he would go do something (laughs) completely different right yeah um uh so in that in that sort of lineage of um christian albums where both both um dylan and blake like took heavily from the bible like i said um, this song, Every Grain of Sand, is is almost like a direct rip off of William Blake. Okay. Um, and his, um, I don't know how to say this, uh, auguries of innocence? Yeah. Is yeah. that how you say it? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sorry that you had to listen to the original recording of this song. Actually, I know it's horrific. That's one of the ones that I didn't get to. So. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's it's. I know it's horrific. Um, 
But you can see in the beginning of the William Blake poem um, to see a world in a grain of sand and heaven in a wildflower, right? He's sort of mm-hmm. taking these like big, big ideas of like what God is supposed to be and saying like, you know, like sort of God is everywhere and in everything. Yeah. Um, which is exactly the same thing that Dylan does in every grain of sand. Um, you know, he's saying, um, he says the same things, um, in the fury of the moment, I can see the master's hand. So God's hand in every leaf that trembles in every grain of sand. So you can see right there, like direct rip off William Blake. Yeah. And it's sort of interesting that they, um, that they saw I think that they both saw the world in terms of God in similar ways um that were both unorthodox you know yeah absolutely um because I know from and the marriage of heaven and hell which is it really is one of the most prominent pieces of Blake's Mm. that deals you know with with the religiousness it's not long it's only about 11 pages Mm -hmm. um but it is so dense um there's there's symbolism in like every line yeah so you really which is why it can be difficult um like you said to read his poetry because you do have to be at least decently well-versed in mm-hmm. religious theory mm-hmm. and everybody is not and that's a lot to go through mm-hmm. <laughs> um so to be able to read it and pick out even parts of what are there is it's a lot of work yeah i think that i think that's why a lot of people do like like songwriters as poets in a way um, because it is more, it's not as complicated. Right. Like to put it in easy words, like it's mm-hmm. just not as complicated. But but to have to do with um, the marriage of heaven and hell, there's actually a really good um, dichotomy between Dylan and Blake there too. Because I think they both had confusion around um, angels and devils and who was who in the real world. Like who was a good person and who was a bad person. Yeah. Um, and Dylan especially felt this. So every grain of sand was really like the last um, very Christian-y song. And then the next album um, was Street Legal. And he moved into the next album, Infidels, which um, was very critical of what he just experienced. Hmm. By the way, I want to preface all of this, um, which I should have <laughs> said this before, by saying um, every, all of this is speculation because Dylan has never once said um, this is what this song means, and this is what I went through ever once, never ever. And if he did, he was lying. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, that's what I love about him, though. But um, he felt this idea of, um, especially there's a song called Man of Peace, um, where Dylan says, sometimes Satan comes as a man of peace, saying, mm-hmm. um, you know, there are people who come to you appearing like they're the voice of god or they come to you like a saint um or an angel and then you find out later what their real intentions were um and isn't there a theme of that kind of in marriage of heaven and hell yeah definitely um goodness where is that yeah it's 
his whole thing is um, because he doesn't place Jesus as Jesus, essentially. He he turns Jesus into into a prophet. Um, Blake does, and then kind of, he, isn't that isn't that what Jewish people say yes, Jesus was? Yes. Yeah. Um, but then Blake goes further and turns the Messiah, Jesus, this prophet, he turns the Messiah into Satan. Satan is the mm. Messiah. And it's it absolutely turns everything on its head. Yeah, it's like, it's this whole idea of like religion gone wrong, right? Yeah. Yeah, which is totally, I feel like the entire theme of the Infidels album, which by the way is always in like my top five of Dylan albums. I know people <laughs> say it's not that good, but those people can take a hike. Um, yeah, like, uh, but it's like this whole idea of humanity mistaking a demon for God. Mm-hmm. And I think that even even if you think about that in a secular context is really interesting. Yeah. Like, the president. <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> a lot to think about there. We're, we're, yeah, we're just going to leave it. We're just going to leave it. Yeah. Um, fun times. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, what was I going to say about... And and it kind of morphs into... The first song on uh, Infidels is a song called Joker Man, um, which is full of... Um, symbols and ideas and every single line is a new image mm-hmm. put in your head for no reason but to confuse you in my opinion um <laughs> but uh there's this line that has always stuck with me where he says um the rifleman is stalking the sick and the lame preacher man seeks the same who will get there first is uncertain Wow. I know, right? And people are like, oh, he's not a poet. Anyway, but um, <laughs> saying like, saying like, you know, the rifleman who, who's obviously after to kill people. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, looking for the weak ones and people who are desperate, right, that mm-hmm. he can pick off. And the priest who is also looking for weak people that he can influence. Yeah. Um, are after the same... They're after the same goal, which is totally the the same idea as um, people mistaking Satan for a man of peace um, and Blake's marriage of heaven and hell. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's a direct condemnation of religion, like in general. Right. <laughs> or, or you could see it as a criticism, you know? Yeah. You know, like we've seen, um, obviously we've seen in past years with the Catholic Church, like there's been so much criticism oh of that gosh, whole organization yeah. that's had to push them towards being better, mm-hmm. um, which is only a good thing. Yeah. Which I'm sure in Blake's time was um, highly frowned upon, <laughs> but I think now people appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, and that's, we're not going to get into why I'm I'm not a practicing Catholic anymore. Mm. But, yeah, I mean, that's... Yeah. I definitely understand the sentiment. Mm-hmm. I think they also both had um, a sense of this conflict between real Christianity and idolatry. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, I think Dylan was called an idol for a long time, and he hated it, because I think he thinks that 
idols are like having an idol is useless and sometimes even um um counter like like bad for you (laughs) you know um and i think blake probably had a problem with idolatry as well because once you become an idol you become a god and once you become a god people like follow you even though you might be something you say you're not right yeah um so so dylan basically went through this this whole um christian phase where he started out he started out literally preaching to audiences that it's the end times you know as so many do yeah whereas now um i just saw him a few weeks ago whereas now um he doesn't even say hello or thank you (laughs) he just comes (laughs) plays and leaves and has some mannequins in the back for some reason (laughs) um but back then he used to literally preach to the audience um he so he went from that to making these albums that people hated and people and and saying like well you know what this is what i want to do i'm gonna have gospel songs blah 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 um to sort of becoming disillusioned with it right with the infidels album and saying like you know these priests and these people who i went to bible study with weren't all they were cracked up to be Mm -hmm. pretty much and then by um by the end of the 80s he was back to you know um making regular secular music and then in 1998 he won the album of the year like grammy album of the year for time time out of mind um so it was like a very very quick come to jesus and then um like sort of back to reality uh which is sort of disturbing but also like um interesting how he just uh sort of examined it and then moved on i don't know yeah, and then and then for I think the rest of the career, for the rest of his career, really, Dylan spent a lot of time um, exploring the line between faith and corruption or disbelief. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, I mean a good example of that is a song called "Gotta Serve Somebody," and the main the main lyric in that song is um, it could be the devil or it could be the Lord, but you gotta serve somebody. Like you gotta pick if you're gonna be a good person or if you're gonna be a bad person, right? And I think that Blake, with his idea of like his idea of like what the temptations are and what desires are he he would have fallen in line with that as well yeah definitely yeah um anyway so i guess we can talk now for a little bit about um lyrics as poetry and how um music has influenced art and poetry in, in other ways too um a lot of people like we said at the beginning um say that dylan isn't a poet and it was a big and you said you remember too it was a big deal when he won the nobel prize for literature it was a scandal it was a scandal people were outraged yeah um because because he's a musician he's not a poet yeah and i think i think even you know you look at other musicians like I like I I say I always said that um, if Leonard Cohen had still been alive, he deserved the Nobel Prize. Like if you say you know that Leonard Cohen isn't a poet, so he shouldn't well win the Nobel Prize for literature. Like I would just say that's baloney. <laughs> but um, in in his Nobel Prize speech, um, Dylan says like I never considered my well he didn't say it he had someone say it for him because he pieced out of that. But. Um, 
in his speech, he said, you know, I never considered my work literature, but I'm glad other people do. Mm -hmm. Um, Which I think was really, for us fans, was really, um, what's the word? Um, Validating? Yeah, validating, definitely. Um, And kind of a big, like, ha-ha to everyone that put us down. But, um... Well, it's also yeah. it's also a vindication of like pop culture. Totally, yeah. Because you know, here's here's this artist who, you know, they have you know number one hits or whatever, and you know they're just they're just a fad. You know, you'll listen to their music, whatever, and then, you know, twenty years later they'll be nobody. Yeah, I mean they they thought rock and roll died when on the day that music died, you know, and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Or or there's a lot of parents um who when the Beatles were big didn't let their kids buy merchandise cuz yeah. they were like, "Oh, well, you're going to not you're not going to want this in college." Right? You know? and, then and then now 50 literally years I, later. 50 years later I literally have a Beatles backpack. Yeah. So, um, I'm still jealous of that backpack. It's love excellent. It. Yeah, Terry Hammond has the same backpack. Not name dropping, just love her. <laughs> um but to the to the people that say that Dylan isn't a poet and he doesn't belong on this podcast, I would just tell you to go listen to like Mr. Tambourine Man, you know, where he says, um, like, and take me disappearing through the smoke smoke rings of my mind or um, um, and if you hear vague traces of skipping reels of rhyme, like if you if you listen, and you're like, that's not poetry, then. I mean, it's your loss, I guess. Or, yeah. or a hard rain's going to fall, which um, one of my favorite lyrics he ever wrote which Patti Smith sung at the Nobel, um, the Nobel presentation. Um, she says, in her rain's gonna fall, which is a apocalyptic song kind of about the telling of the end of the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the way some people interpret it. And yeah. it, it actually came, uh, it was released a few months or written bef- a few months before um, the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis. Oh. And a lot of people said that he predicted the future. <laughs> You know, um, but in that, there's a line where he says, um, the executioner's face is always well hidden, which for Man, for a 21-year-old to write that wow. is um, uh, terribly observant and yeah. uh, consequential. And then all the way up to songs like Not Dark Yet and his Time Out of Mind album, which I said before was um, uh, won the Grammy for so, uh, Best Album of the Year, and... Um, uh, things have changed where he says things like uh, which came out in 2001 uh, says things like uh, there's a lot of water under the bridge and a lot of other stuff too <laughs> I mean the man like you can't deny the man like has a way with words like the pe- people call him the bard for a reason you know to coincide with yeah. like the lineage of Shakespeare yeah um and he does he like we said on my podcast about David Bowie. He's like he does the job of a poet many times, which is to lay bare the truths that people have yet to articulate. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, lyrics are lyrics are just poetry set to music. Yeah, and there are other great great musicians who are who are poets and would not describe themselves as such, like Patti Smith, or even Smokey Robinson was a great poet. Yeah. Um, yeah, like the lyric, um, there's a song, I'll Try Something New. Do you know that song? Um, Where he says, um, you give me your loving as warm, or you give me your loving as warm as mama's oven. 
that's poetry to me. <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> well, and I think poetry doesn't always have to be big and deep and profound. To- yeah, okay, I mean, that's actually a great point to make. Because Shel Silverstein was a poet. <sighs> Shel Silverstein. Dr. Seuss was a poet. <sighs> Dr. Seuss. But none of that stuff one would consider, you know, like on the same level of William Blake as, if you know, I incredibly pay, deep and profound. I will, I will pay you to do an episode on Dr. Seuss. That would be the best thing <laughs> of my life. Um, next season. <laughs> coming next season, Dr. Seuss. One fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish. Um, the pinnacle. The <laughs> pinnacle. I mean, like, I mean... What's gonna be what's gonna be more influential? Like some guy's words from the fifteenth century or like something that was written yesterday that people can relate to in real time. Yeah. You know? I mean I know can I swear on your podcast? I don't even know. Sure. Okay, um I mean I know that fuck Donald Trump, that song is like not the most lyrically dense, but it does make <laughs> you feel something. Yeah. <laughs> and that's so. that's absolutely what poetry is about. Yeah, totally. Um and but yeah, I, I think that I think that looking at Dylan's work was a very interesting way for me, at least, to like kind of discover Blake as a poet, mm-hmm. um, which has happened to me a lot. Where I find out, oh, my this musician that I love really loved this person's work, and then I find out about them, you know, yeah. or like um, especially Allen Ginsberg. I'm like, oh, he loved this poet, and then I go back and read them, and it's like always a window to someone else. Yeah. Um, p- part of that is. Um <laughs> a lot of the uh, a lot of the schools of poetry are kind of like small towns where mm-hmm. everybody knows everybody else. <laughs> so the the whole thing with Allen Ginsberg and beat poetry that was pretty much created from you know a small group of like maybe half a dozen people who knew each other from college. That's how that yeah. got started. That's crazy to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Was it in New York City? Um, was it in Greenwich Village? I feel like maybe it was. I believe so, yes. Yes, of course it was. The epicenter. <laughs> um, but I think I'd kind of like to, to leave off with, like, in Dylan's work, obviously, like I said before, there's a lot of biblical imagery. Even going back to, like, um, even going back to John Wesley Harding, that album, or Blonde on Blonde, which is, like, his most... Um, not successful, but um, the, what people say is his best album. Um, mm-hmm. But there's a lot of imagery of a blue-eyed boy, which he has blue eyes, and he's um, in a lot of literature, or a lot of um, songs that people write about him. Like, Joan Baez had that song where she says, um, your eyes were bluer than robin's eggs. Like, a lot of people identify mm-hmm. him by that. Um, so the blue-eyed boy, a lot of times, people think he's referencing himself and there's also lots of imagery of like a weeping powerless mother like it's all right ma um Mm -hmm. and if you think about that those two characters in his work that show up a lot kind of leads to images of like the virgin mary and yeah so the virgin mary you know and, and and the messiah and if that baby is the messiah is he calling himself jesus is Dylan being prophetic? Or is it like most of Dylan's work where you leave more confused <laughs> than you were when you entered? Um, I mean, I should have prefaced this um, conversation too with just like, there's no way to ever really know. 
what any of these people really meant in their work. Yeah. Well, Which, especially for people who are dead. Yeah. <laughs> um, you'll never know. But I think that's... And people are very unsatisfied by that. Like, with Dylan, people are so unsatisfied that he won't say anything about his work. But I find that, like, exciting. Yeah, it's it's, it's giving you the opportunity to pull your own meaning from it. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to be wrong because it matters to you. Right. Yeah. So Dylan is... <laughs> He was worshipping himself the whole time. <laughs> For that brief period of three albums, and then he was like, man, maybe I suck. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, oh, you guys don't like the gospel choir in the back? Okay. <laughs> oh, you don't like it when I preach to you on stage? Hmm. Um, yeah, but I, I mean, if, if anybody is willing um, to dive into one of those albums, I would suggest Slow Train Coming or Shot of Love. Um and if you want to see something after that religious period, um, Infidels is fantastic um, to sort of get a taste for it. But I won't blame you if you don't stick around for long. <laughs> and also, if you've never listened to Dylan before, um, listen to his second album, uh, Free Willing Bob Dylan, which is a classic and I feel like endears everyone to him and is a lot more accessible than some of that later work. Because when you people always start with Blonde on Blonde and I'm like... Don't do that to yourself. You won't like it. He's going to sound like he's wheezing and you're going to be <laughs> unsatisfied. All right. Cool. And then if uh, if you want to hear me uh, talk more about uh, like music and stuff like that, if you like music, um, which I feel like you know most people do, yeah. um, you should head on over to my podcast, the B-Sides Podcast, also available on Apple Podcasts and all the things. You can also find me on uh, Instagram and Twitter, both at the B-Sides pod, or both at B-Sides pod, sorry. And uh, there even you can find, I'm going to be posting uh, Spotify playlists for all my episodes. So if you want to find like some new music and stuff, it'll be in there. Um, we can post a Spotify for playlist for this episode if you want. I can sure. send one to you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you want to follow me on there to hear about like cool music stuff and cool guests, that's where I'm at. And thanks for talking about this with me because it was a really fun thing to dig into. Thanks for coming it, to my podcast. It was a lot more than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for tuning in to Life Distilled. If you want to keep the vibe going, check out our social media on Twitter and Instagram with the handle at Poetry Distilled. You can vote in polls, share some of your favorite poems, and see what new books we add to our library. I'm Jane, and once again, thanks for listening and happy reading. <laughs>